Welcome, everybody, to episode five of Ultra Pro Max, the podcast where we talk about app development and the Apple ecosystem. Uh, per the usual, my name is Luke Irvine. I'm here hosting. Per the usual, my name is Luke, and I'm here chairing this discussion. And we've got Joshua, the designer of the group. Hello. Happy to be here. And Sadia, the developer of the group. Well, we're all developers and we're all designers in some ways. Hey, Luke, Joshua. I need to figure out how to introduce us. But it's fun. We're all here to have a good time. A different introduction each time. Whatever floats your boat in the moment. But my boat's floating, so we're having good. We're having a good time. Josh, speaking of good times, you're out of energy for app design. What's going on? I was working on an app idea last fall, again this spring, playing with different ideas, and I've gotten to the point where I don't feel like working on it in the evenings. I'm just kind of zapped. And I have also started a new job, so that's been taking a lot of my focus over the last couple of months to really, you know, try to make sure that I'm feeling onboarded and part of it. And so I, I feel that my, not my time, because I've still got time, but I feel that my energy has kind of dissipated. And I'm curious how you both handle when the thing that's not going to make you direct money for any time soon, <laughs> how you handle working on it. How far through are you building it? Well, that's the question. I've taken it to design. I've tried taking it to code, and that stifles me every time because I'm a very junior developer, and that's been my limiting factor. I have started so many projects and finished so few, but I I do try really hard to just push through if I'm at that like 80% stage. If I've run out of energy before then, if I'm not excited about it anymore, then you know, maybe it's not the sort of thing I want to be building and working on anyway. You know what I mean? But if I've made it to that 80-ish percent, then I'm going to finish it. You know, I'll I'll really push hard at just getting it done. And actually, I'm really stuck on an app at the moment, which I'm 95% through. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't want to be doing this, but I'm going to I'm gonna stick through uh, with it. I've got like a plan and yeah, I'm, I'll update more on a future episode about that. But so I would, my advice, abandon and look for the next thing. We all know that ideas are cheap. Like ideas are so easy to come by. They happen all the time. We learned in product management school that ideas are cattle and, and not pets. And we, we just need to be ready to slaughter them off if they're not working for us. Yeah, it seems like that last 80% is usually the toughest, hardest spot. You get there and then you're just stuck with that one feature that you don't quite know how to solve or you're stuck with uh, all the overhead stuff like you know just all the pricing stuff like square or square or whatever that kind of integration stuff just all the annoying overhead bits is that kind of where you're stuck or what what area of the development process are you stuck in josh i mean it's i'm talking to two developers so it's a little embarrassing it's basically the absolute beginning of the development process <laughs> where I can kind of figure out the front end. But beyond that, I've just been exploring. I've been trying to learn. I've been talking to ChatGPT. I've been talking to myself. I've been trying to figure out what is, like, could I build one of my ideas without a database? That way it's just front end, essentially. Uh, if I pulled into a database, so that that's where I've been stuck. I've also had a discussion about would it make sense to hire Actually, I'd love your take on this. Would it make sense for me to hire a developer to help me based on a very defined scope of my idea? Does that even make sense? I'm not sure because I'm given the time and energy I have, I'm a long way out from being able to actually get an app off the ground on my own at this stage. 
Look, I, I think for the type of person you are, this is a conversation we've had before. It's a conversation about, do we want to be like a solo indie dev? All of my products in the past, I've had you know exits and, and things like that. I've always been in a partnership. And in fact, that's my go-to. If I've got an idea, wow, wouldn't it be good if I could bring someone in? And the advantage of a partnership, either two or even better, if you can get three people together, is that you're always sort of egging each other on and that motivation that you lose, somebody else might pick up where you left off or somebody else might go, hey, how are you going? And sort of guilt you into doing a bit of work. And so that can be really valuable, not to mention the shared skill sets, you know, like a bit of overlap, find someone who's a d developer with a bit of design and you're a designer with a d bit of development. That can be really good. The reason why I prefer that sort of partnership to hiring someone is because you're never going to find someone who's really invested. You know, you're never going to find someone who's really doing their best work for you. And unless you bring them in, bring them in as a, as a full partner. And to that point, I've actually talked to each of you independently about whether we should work on an idea together, right? And I kind of put the kibosh on it both times because I'm like, I, I want to try to do everything on my own, but I have 100% of nothing. <laughs> A year later. No, it's a great point. And I've I've kind of struggled with this one because I, I have been in partnerships in the past. Some went well, others did not go well. And I'm trying to figure out at this stage in my life what appetite I have for doing it again. It just seems like the easiest way to start out for like your own projects. Because then you, if you don't know how to do everything, then you have to take on all that more risk of paying somebody. But if you can find someone to split the risk with you, who believes in your idea, much softer launch. Yeah, but I also I see the attraction of wanting to be like a solo dev, you know, like having each day where you're just like, do I work today? Or maybe I'll, I'll do yard work today because I need to do a bit of catch up or just having that flexibility and not being accountable to anyone except for your customers. There's something attractive about that. And the moment you enter into a partnership, all of a sudden you sort of have to justify yourself to someone. Oh, well, I decided not to work today because, uh, you know, it makes it completely different situation. I think it's a really valid discussion. And <laughs> I have known partnerships of folks where it's gone really well. I know there's a lot of challenges with partnerships as well. And if you want to run a good friendship, build, uh, become business partners. <laughs> not, not always, but sometimes. So I, I struggle with this. And I know that each of you are also doing this in different ways. I guess maybe a way to kind of wrap this topic or if you're going to enter into a partnership with someone, what are ways that you look to protect yourself and them? I just want to preface, I, I, there's a phrase that I've heard, what is it like the fastest sinking ship is a partnership or something like that? You probably, Sada, you probably have more insight on this. I've had family members that have gone into partnerships that have really, really uh, blown up and not like had messy splits because the the agreements on the agreements at the beginning weren't the most forthcoming and weren't the most like they didn't have a lot of foresight just having a good agreement written up it doesn't even have to be i don't I don't think it has to be like formalized like legalized necessarily it could just be like an email back and forth as long as there's some kind of written document that you both like sign that you're okay with right that holds up later legally um but just like the agreement for when you split like who buys out what like what percent ownership is there um how is how is once you guys start m earning money how is that distributed is it distributed by percentage of money that's put in is it distributed by amount of hours percentage wise or maybe you're just paid a flat rate for the hours based on how much your skill set is worth and then the remainder is divvied up by percentages 
you know, I, I think there's just a lot that you can do with that initial agreement to really set yourself up for for success. Um, at what point can the majority part can the majority partner like buy out the other one? Like what kinds of you know all those different things go into that original agreement. The other thing I would say is never do a 50-50, at least in my opinion. It's always good to have somebody who's the more passionate one who can break the tie when there's something that goes south. There's just something about 50-50 that just kind of grinds against human nature. Wow. I I actually disagree with everything, everything that you just said. <laughs> so, okay, maybe I've just been lucky or maybe I'm just naive. Those are two very distinct and very real possibilities. But I've never had a partnership go south and I've been in part of quite a few. And some of those have been 50-50. And I would say, actually, if, if there's a trick to it, the trick is always split evenly. That's, that's how I think of it. 50-50 can go sideways. I, I can see how that would happen. So that's why it's good to have a third person and you just split thirds. Like uh, I, had, I had someone once tell me, and I think it's great advice, that you should split your business into 120 shares instead of just a, you know the standard 100 because 120 splits evenly better. 40 shares for three people each. Uh, that has worked for me in the past. The trick to it, and again, like maybe this is just a fluke, but for me, it's just been casual. Just be casual. Don't be formal. Don't go writing up things. Don't go getting precious about your ideas. Just say, hey, this is a crazy idea. What do you think? And let's work on it. And if something happens, great. We'll figure it out. And if nothing happens, then oh, nothing, nothing too, too much lost. So I don't know, find the right people, find good friends, as opposed to trying to avoid good friends. It's better to work with people who you know and who you like. And just keep things really, really easy, really casual. Make sure you split everything easy. Don't get an ego. Just make it easy. That's that's how it's always worked for me, as opposed to going, all right, we need to get a, a, a really a formal partnership in place, and we need to sign all the papers so that if something goes wrong, no, no, no. That's too far, too quickly. I love the completely different takes, and uh, I wonder, you, you did mention, Tati, you've gotten lucky, and I know, Luke, you also talk about, like, in your family having situations that haven't gone well, so you're trying to prep against that. I don't know that there's any single answer here, but there is something about having a partner that you both believe in something, and for a period of time, you're going to pull together to get something done, and that does bring forth great efforts, right? It, it, when you have multiple people pulling together, you can get a lot done and it's pretty cool. But it also, I think it's hard. It doesn't always work out. Yeah. And I want to say too, you know, I, I, I talk all like formally and get all the formal agreements up in the beginning and da 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 But at the end of the day, with, with the two partnerships that I'm in, like we've been working on the same project for about a year now in, in both of them. And we still don't have any kind of formal document written up because <laughs> it's kind of one of those things we talked about at the beginning, but we're like, ah, it's chill, whatever. As soon as we start making money, then we'll probably be like, all right, we should sign something, whatever. As soon as it matters. Once we actually start making. Yeah, yeah. So actually we're on the same page, man. I think we're agreeing. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on. We've got a lot of things on the agenda here. You know, we say we talk about the app development and the Apple eco ecosystem, but we've been talking a lot about app development lately. So let's get into the Apple ecosystem. Apple hardware rumors. Josh, take us through what's what's going on there. I think a, a lot of us were hoping for some new iPads and some new Macs this year that the M3 chip would make its way into some of these hardware devices. So far, that's not happened. We had an announcement last week for a new Apple Pencil, which has been making the rounds as a frustration point for a lot of people. Actually, I want to touch on that for a second. 
I'm fine with the new Apple Pencil because for the type of work I do on the iPad, it it doesn't have touch sensitivity, it doesn't have tilt sensitivity, none of that. But it's 79 US dollars, it's the cheapest one. And I just do simple sketches. So if I lost my Apple Pencil today, I'd go buy that one. The rumor has is by Minchi Kuo and Mark German had competing r- rumors that came out yesterday, I think. There's a possibility we'll get a new iMac in the next couple of weeks and maybe some new Mac hardware. And this is potentially going to be based on the three nanometer process that went into the iPhones this year, but we, we don't know yet, or it could be the new iMac might be an M2. So all that's to say, we have no idea. We'll know in about a week and a half if we're right. Otherwise, it looks like a spring announcement for new hardware. That seems to be what I can figure out from the rumor mill from on 9to5Mac. Um, curious if you guys have heard anything else. Is that the traditional release schedule for like um, new hardware and stuff is in the spring or is it kind of just whenever? Uh, Macs are a little different. You always have iPhone in September, but often Macs and iPads come in October. Uh, Sometimes there's variants. And then in the spring, you'll often have the tail end of a Mac device or an iPad device. You Americans talking about product releases in uh, seasons does not make any sense to me. I have to do so much (laughs) mental arithmetic when you say in the spring. So you... You're going into your spring right now then, correct? I think that must be... No, it feels like summer, let me tell you. It feels like summer here. What's your season before summer? This is like such a dumb question. It's the same order. It's the same order. It's just (laughs) two separated. Yeah, it's just half a year out. It still gets warmer before it gets hot down there. Imagine that. Ben Thompson has the scoop, I think, that is worth paying attention to here, which is that the new iPhone, the 15 Pro the three nanometer chip that went into that is not using the very latest best process in fact it's using a process that is kind of a bit of a dead end it's not really going to be iterated on and because of that his take and i think i agree is that the m3 will be based on a different three nanometer process because of that the m3 will be delayed and so if there's new imax then they won't have a new an m3 in them and maybe there's no new IMAX because of that. Which kind of leads into, are you? I, I'm going to drop into the show notes what I think is the chip article that Ben Thompson had on Wednesday last week. Great article. I listened to the, the podcast version of it. We're not getting, I say we, accumulatively, the industry is not getting the benefit we thought from this current three nanometer process in terms of it's not really energy saving and it's not really performance uh, enhancing so it becomes this question of what was the point of it right and i think that i hadn't quite picked up on that take that maybe we're going a different direction with stuff like this maybe there's a different three nanometer process coming forgive me when you say it's like a different process or different processor is this like a fundamental different way of from the intel chip to the m1 it was like a fundamentally different way i don't i'm not a hardware guy but is it like a fundamentally different way of computing or how does that work no it's not a different architecture it's just a different manufacturing process so they're hoping to save energy in the manufacturing process no this they're hoping to get a better result and better yields presumably and I don't know, that the whole way of making chips, I need to find a good YouTube video to explain it because it's it's so complex and complicated and who knows how they make such tiny, tiny transistors, but uh, there are different ways of doing it, apparently. So I'm reading from the article, which I'll put into the show notes, that um, they were using 
EUV machines, which I know almost, I know nothing about, right? That were creating these wafers, which are the three nanometer uh, chips. This process did not turn out to create the ultimate product that gets created. <laughs> we're butchering this about the ultimate product that gets created is a dead end in terms of it wasn't giving the yields that we thought, it, which means backtrack, try another route might be what's happening. And for me, the only thing I know about chip design and hardware comes from Ben Thompson's interviews and occasional discussion on it on his podcast, which is really fun. I love learning anything I can about this, but it's, <laughs> I'm not, I don't know much other than just listening to those podcasts and trying to figure it out. Man, I know way too much about the cable industry in America because of listening to Ben. <laughs> I do not need to know this much. It's completely different over there. I have no idea. The whole streaming wars and the cord cutting, I highly recommend it, Luke. It's just uh, paying for Stratechery Plus and listening to the, some of their podcasts. That's where a lot of my stuff comes from. The uh, And I'm not getting sh paid to shill this or anything like that. <laughs> he has a sh sharp tech Sharp Tech and uh, Dithering.fm, those are two that are part of that bundle that I listen to every week. Getting Moving on to more Apple products, um, Vision Pro and Vision OS, um, how, are you guys, how are you guys feeling about it? Has there been any other news come out? Because Vision Pro looked very promising, but quite daunting as well with the high price point. So what are you guys seeing? I almost pulled the trigger last week on flying down to Cupertino to use the Vision Pro for a full day and just be able to test out an app idea. I was looking at the ticket, round trip ticket, 150 bucks. I'm like, maybe I have some person that lives in San Francisco that I can like crash with, but it didn't make sense logistically. I think it was uh, Stephen Trouton Smith on Mastodon who kind of called this out the most that, or called this out well, until you can actually play with the actual hardware, it's a moot point. You can't really develop for a platform that until you've used the hardware. Yes, there's the emulator. Yes, there's there's people talking about it, but it's not enough to actually know what it's like to interface to move through this this new operating system. And I'm I think for me, the incredible cost of the hardware, the low amount of people who will be using it. I'm kind of coming around to this idea of I was so excited before and now I'm a little hesitant. I don't know would it even be worth it for me to put out the energy to make something for this. Granted, I still haven't used the hardware though, so I don't know. I don't maybe once I use it, my whole brain will explode and I'll be like this is the best thing ever, but I haven't had a chance to use it yet. So I'm a big VR nerd and I've got, you know, all the VR headsets going back to the Vive. That was my first one and I was really excited about the Vision Pro. I had saved up all of my money to be able to afford it, and I was ready to buy it and everything. And then we find out that there's going to be really, really limited availability. And probably, like the first iPhone, it's not even going to come out outside the US. So I went and spent all my money on musical instruments instead. I was, I was just so stoked, and I think that the lack of availability is going to be a big downer on this because like you say Joshua like there's there's a real temptation to get that first mover advantage with an app on the app store in the first you know people are unwrapping their vision pro and getting your app as one of the first things they try and they're willing to spend money on it and could be great but then if there's not very much availability then there's not much of a market there to sell to like it's it's not just a little bit of unavailability. The rumors are that it's only half a million headsets that are able to be produced in the first year. That's tiny. Do we see this as being the future though? Like 10 years down the line, is everybody using a Vision Pro or some other variant like of a virtual workspace? 
I'm very curious, right? I, I I'm w- the way I've heard people talk about it that this mixed reality way of essentially having a massive screen in front of your face for work. And so I'm thinking now productivity, work or watching a movie by myself, which is kind of lame. I I don't like my wife and I, how would we even do that? Um, <laughs> I saw Sadia raise that brows. Okay, it's not lame to watch a movie by myself, but I don't do it very often. <laughs> if uh, for me, if the Vision Pro or a Vision Air or whatever they come out with that eventually gets cheaper allows me to replace a massive monitor and to be able to function and work and have this huge screen in front of me for design, I would be so happy. Personally, I would love that. I'm not sure, though, if other use cases are really going to pick up with the average person 10 years from now. This might be more like the Macintosh from the 80s, right, where a small group of people saw the potential and it took 30, 40 years for it to really change the world, right? We might be looking at something like that, but frankly, I don't know. I'm excited to try and be part of it, though. It's just so expensive. <laughs> I don't think screen replacement is the future, though, Joshua. I th- I think spatial computing is the future. It It's a completely different thing. The idea that you're going to be still doing your work on a Mac, but using a vision for a screen, I don't think that's how it works. I think it's you do your work on the vision. Uh, I think we're saying the same thing. I'm I'm imagining, like, can I put on this headset and do all the stuff I need to do on this headset. And maybe for some stuff for a couple of years, I have to drop back down to the Mac, right? Because a big concern some folks are raising is if this lock is locked down like the iPad, there will be some apps you can never do on the Vision. So being able to connect back to your Mac might, I don't know. That, that That's also a massive question. Will they open it up like the iPad or will it's never going to be open as much as the Mac, I don't think. Look, this actually gets to my second point on why I'm not actually that excited about it is because people are going to start actually thinking that Apple invented this concept of spatial computing, but it's been around for a long time now. And the idea is that rather than looking at flat screens, this is what the idea has always been. Rather than just being based in a flat interface, that's not how we interact with the work world naturally. Normally, we have this whole 3D environment, and if I want to move something, I go and pick it up from one place and take it to another place in a 3D sense. And the idea is that work in the future will not be flat screens. It will be moving things around in a spatial way. Coding might be uh, connecting Lego blocks as opposed to in a you know multi dimensional method as opposed to words on a screen and so vision pro is not really spatial computing it it probably has the potential to be it does have the concept of having 3d boxes that things can live inside of but mostly and in all of the demos that apple apple showed it's just 2d screens inside of the real world it's still really based on 2d screens and so i'd don't necessarily even think that it's spatial computing. However, is it going to be a big thing in the future? Yeah, I I think it will be, but it will have transferred a way out of these flat surfaces and into more of the 3D uh, interactive surfaces. I think that Apple has created an allowance for what you're describing, which is the volumes Mm. type of applications, right? But I imagine with all that they're trying to do to get this thing out the door, they haven't truly figured out what is that killer application, right? And maybe 
eventually they'll be able to suggest it. Just like I think GarageBand is a killer application for the Mac. That's what it got a lot of people into the Mac 15 years ago. And maybe they're working on something that's, or they're hoping developers will work on something, but they don't really have it. The same with the iPhone. Safari was the killer app that came out with the iPhone and they were able to launch it at the same time. But Facebook arguably was the thing that made the iPhone grow, which was everyone wanted to be on Facebook or Instagram and they wanted an iPhone. So I'm curious, it may come from the developer community. It may also partially come from Apple, but you're right. It doesn't exist yet. That fantastic, perfect app that we can all imagine using, I haven't seen anyone suggest it yet. And maybe Apple are just playing 40 chess here. I think they probably are, where they're saying, we can't just come out of the gates with this entirely new way of computing. We need to train people into it. And the same way that our phones are very different from the, our first iPhone, which was, for me, a 3G, because I couldn't get the first iPhone here in Australia, then we also need to start incorporating different ways of interacting with this thing. Right now, there's just a single gesture. In 10 years, I'm sure there'll be a whole bunch that we just know fluently. I feel like this is like kind of a new uncharted territory because I feel like uh, Apple's never had an original idea. They just, uh, you know, everything that they've come up with, whether that's Apple Watches or iPad, tablets, or maybe tablet with more Apple, but I don't know. They will usually wait and hedge their bets until they come out with something that's like new technology, right? They're never the first ones. But once they do come out with it, you're like, oh, okay, the technology is finally ready for this. Like we can finally have like smart watches. Like the technology is ready. They're ready. It's going to be high quality, super duper good. And so when the Vision Pro came out, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, oh, shoot, like virtual reality is here. Like we've been talking about it for a long time. But like now that the Vision Pro is out, like it's here. But this sounds like, no, it's not here yet. Like it's just so promising that Apple had to take a stab at it. But the we still have no idea as a society how to really leverage that well. Yeah, that is a great way to look at it. And Apple is rarely first at anything, right? You see Samsung now four or five generations into foldable phones, right? They're, they're playing with it. They're throwing stuff at the wall. And some people are loving what they're doing. Most of it's absolute crap. <laughs> and for Apple, they, I think they play with every idea early in their labs, but most of it will never make it through to the public. So I think they've tried every idea we can imagine when they think of, can we sell... 10 million of these in a year, most ideas fall flat on that. Yeah, with the vision, there's there's actually a big debate right now with a bunch of people. Do That front-facing entire LED display, is that necessary? That's probably cost $800, right? It's incredibly expensive to have all those cameras and that display. Do we need it? I am excited. <laughs> the third version of whatever vision is, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> And I'm wondering, like, do I pay for the first version? I don't know. Because it's almost, it's going to be almost $4,000 US after taxes and after whatever upgrades you probably have to get. Man, I don't think it makes sense. The second and third versions are going to be just as much, if not more, and they're going to be like foundationally different than the first. Unless you want to try to make an application for it. That would be the one question, right? Well, speaking of buying a bunch of Apple hardware, uh, the Christmas season is here and... What's your guys' 2024 wish list for Apple hardware, existing, otherwise, etc.? I'll start with the Vision Pro. If I can do my work on it, I would love to have that. If nothing else, if it was a dumb device to let me have an 80-inch screen or multiple 40-inch screens at my desk working with my Mac, I would, I would love that. That would be fantastic. 
Otherwise, I will probably just need to buy a studio display because I'm tired of being on a small laptop. Um, I've got my my day job 16-inch laptop, and for personal stuff, I have a 14-inch laptop, and I'm getting tired of that. <laughs> the As far as fun stuff, I would love if Apple came out with some kind of a foldable iPad next year. It's probably years off, but I think that could be really fun just to kind of have this Maybe it's small, but then it gets really big for travel. I'd like to. Why do you Why do you want a foldable iPad? That doesn't make sense. Uh, a foldable phone makes sense. You can put it in your pocket. A foldable iPad, ginormous iPad. <laughs> I imagine a 15 inch iPad that you can fold in half to put in your backpack. I think that'd be pretty sweet. But you can already <laughs> put it 15. Okay, sure. All right. I, I'd like to see what they would do with it. The other thing is, I'm I got I'm getting so annoyed with my Magic Mouse mice. I have two of them. Mice, Magic Mice. Nieces. The other day, it just died on me, did not say why, and then I had to just plug it in and be without a mouse for five minutes. It's an overused joke, but I am tired of having to turn this oh, yeah. thing upside down like a cockroach to plug it in. That's because you need to move on and become part of the trackpad club. Trackpad forever. I use a trackpad on my... on. I have one, but it's just sitting right there unused because I don't like it as much. So that's me. I, I want for next year to either just settle down and get a studio display or get the Vision Pro. I think those are the big ones. What's the pull of a studio display over like any other you know, cheaper 5K monitor? All right. Uh, well, it's made by Apple. Okay, okay. We are an Apple podcast. I used to have the LG Ultrafine 5K, which has a great display panel. That, that uh, It's a 5K resolution. That's what I use. There is um, a problem in the early versions and maybe the later versions that the US, the Thunderbolt connector that you put into it, it disconnects from the motherboard. It, it's it's right in. So when you go to plug it in, if you do that, let's say 100 times, you get a disconnect with the soldering. And I took it into I gave two different shops to have it soldered. Both of them tried. LG is unavailable to fix it. Their support is absolute just garbage. So if you're LG, and this is, I think in the later models, that they never said this publicly, in the later models they did a different soldering method. But if it goes under, um, it was multiple months and $400, and I never was able to get it fixed. Joshua, why do you unplug your monitor? Well, hold on. That's like saying you're holding it wrong. Uh, for me, <laughs> I, but Why? <laughs> Why? You, you should not buy a $1,300 device that has a limited amount of time. That okay, you... okay, 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 fine. You're right, you're right. 100% right. But why? Why would you unplug the Thunderbolt For me, cable? I was, I think because I had to use it for something else. It's a $180 cable you can only have one of, and I had to also like unplug it to plug in for something else. But even if you just move it around, even if you just put a little pressure on it, it pops the, the soldering point on the motherboard. I don't think I've ever unplugged my monitor, ever. This, Not once. this happened on Accidental Tech Podcast with Casey Liss. His went out too. There's there's tons of forum people talking about this. I looked for months. Right, right. Apple has the studio display with the identical panel. It's the same quality, but you have the backing of Apple's support. If something breaks, they'll fix it for you. And you can actually talk to someone. And it looks more beautiful. It's so that, <laughs> that Samsung came out with one about six months ago, which is equivalent. But it's about the same price, so that to me is not worth it. And I don't want to do a 4K display because it's essentially half the pixels. 
I work in pixels all day long, so I really want a 5K display. So this has been my challenge, that unless I want to spend $1,500, there's no real answer for me. Well, this is on my wish list for next year too, actually, but it's not to buy a studio display. What I'm hoping for is Apple release a new one because I don't want to buy hardware that's kind of old already. And I don't think it's happening next year. I think we're at least two years old. Well, I'll wait. I'll wait, I think, because what I really want is just a really, really good webcam. I can't use the studio display webcam. The webcam is garbage. Pretend it doesn't exist and use something else because it is so bad. The iPhone is actually great as a webcam, and I use that from time to time, but I shouldn't have to, you know? I just need a new Mac. Would you go a laptop or a studio? Laptop. I need to be portable. So I'd probably just get the uh, the M2... A MacBook Air, probably. I had the I have the Pro right now. I have the MacBook Pro. It's the 2019 one with the with the Intel. So she she's a little old, but she's still kicking. She's got like 16 gigabytes of RAM, so you know she does okay. Yeah, it's starting to slow down for sure, and starting to kind of do some funky little stuff. Plus the light, it has the Touch Bar, and the Touch Bar is just like even right now. I if I if I was epileptic, I would be seizing because the the Touch Bar is just flashing continually. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but it's... I have not had the flash. Do you put electrical tape over it? No, because I can still use it. Like oh, I can still... you have to use it, yes. Yeah, if I, t- if I tap it and it engages and it doesn't flash anymore, but like half of it is just shot, like it doesn't show anything, but I can still touch. So I can still touch things where... So if I know generally where stuff is at, and so I can just... <laughs> so I have... I bought a 14-inch MacBook Air... Is it their 14-inch, 13-inch? Whatever the M2 MacBook Air is that came out this year. And they upgraded the RAM to 24 gigs. It is a perfect device. I, If I didn't have a Pro and if I only had 14, 1500 bucks, it is fantastic. The only downside is I love the HDR display on the Pros. I love how bright it gets. And I have a little app called Lunar, which allows me to tap into that 1600 nits brightness. So I... I, I don't use it all the way, but I artificially increase. And I've checked. It looks like it's not hurting your display to run it. That's the one downside of the air is that you're limited to, I think, 800 nits brightness, which is still fine. So for me personally, the brightness was the one factor I was worried about. If you're not worried about that, the air M2, the M2 today is a perfect laptop for me as a designer. And I think as a developer, it'd be fine. Yeah, because like if I'm just doing dev stuff, like I don't need that beefy of a machine. It's really relatively low unless i'm doing a lot of stuff in xcode maybe for just the standard vs code whatever framework you're in it's fine the difference would come down to rendering right when you're trying to uh render a video or what is it when you're trying to compile vs uh xcode you might have to sit around for 60 seconds instead of 30 but apart from that the m2 air is just perfect when i got the pro originally because i was doing a lot of live sound like live like main stage stuff with keys and then i would be running like Ableton backing tracks at the same time. So I was bumping it to its limit. Um, But I don't do that as much anymore. So the Air's battery is just so good. You (laughs) can disappear all day without a power cord and not even think about it. And you can go as a developer six to seven hours. It's, it's just fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's going to be a major universal shift for me. (laughs) I'm like permanently attached to my charger cord these days. Oh, that's cool. Well, and I'm I'm excited too because it I did the trade-in estimation for my for this computer, and this is like like a seven hundred dollar trade-in value, which is way higher than I thought it would be, honestly. Guys, guys, guys! I 
I just put Luna into my Safari search bar, right? I, I put in, I type Luna app. The first search suggestion is for the Mac App Store. And I just click on get and it takes me right to the Mac App Store. But I didn't know, but now you can get Mac App Store search suggestions. That's cool. It, it's the app is worth it for my tired eyes. Having a little more brightness is fantastic. This is weird. It's all in Chinese. Are you working outside or something where you need that extra? No, I just like it a little bit brighter. Um, I think I've so many years in front of the computer. I just, I need a few more nits. Give me some more nits, baby. <laughs> yeah, I just looked at my, my 2019 is 500 nits. Yeah, so it'd be an upgrade for you still. Luke's trying to figure out how to transition to an outro. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Well, anyways, you can cut all this out. This is to make sure you cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> now, now he's not going to cut it out. Stay in now. Just yeah. Luke, do you ever curse or do you actually use uh, swearing? Uh, you know, I, I, I do like under my breath, but I like try not to in public. It depends. If it really calls for it, I'll do it. <laughs> I was curious. Um, I hear you say gosh a lot, which I think is awesome. So I was just curious. I, I curse occasionally. Sadia curses occasionally, or maybe more than me. So I was just curious. <laughs> there, we'll keep that in. <laughs> well, on that note, everybody. Now, now it has to be an explicit episode. Wait, is that, we have to put a little E next to it? Well, we can just do what ATP do. We can just put a little Susumi sound. Uh, yeah, that's not happening until I, maybe, maybe I can <laughs> add that to the editing process. <laughs> What do you edit in? GarageBand, the core app for the Mac. Ferrite Recording Studio, which is in the article I referenced last week. Um, it is a fantastic little iPad app where you can just use your Apple Pencil to swipe and clean up. It's so great. Oh, that's clean. That's fast. No keyboard shortcuts for you. Not with an Apple Pencil. Didn't get to tell you guys about my new app idea. Maybe next time. Ooh. Save it. Yep, top of the agenda for next week. All right, fifth attempt at wrapping this thing up. <laughs> uh, we value all of you that are listening to this. Oh wait, 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 wait. Oh no. Just kidding. Okay, well we value we value even more the listeners. We value you more with each passing outro that's failed. Uh, we value all the listeners that have joined us for these first couple episodes. Uh, we would love to hear what you think and give us some feedback, different topic ideas. Maybe you just think the way I talk is funny. I don't know. Whatever it is. Let us know at email at ultrapromax.com. We finally locked in that name. It's not ultramaxpro. .fm. It's not, the email, it's not the whole outro again. No, we're keeping this in. Email at ultrapromax.fm. In case you missed it, you can go back 15 seconds, but I'm going to save you a button push. Email at ultrapromax.fm. Shoot us your thoughts. We'd love to hear it, uh, what you like and what you don't like. And with that, we will, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for coming, everybody.